Do you know the Muffin Man? The Muffin Man, the Muffin Man. Do you know the Muffin Man? Where does the Muffin Man live? Woodbury? Wood, wood, it's some kind of Woodbury Lane. Woodbury? Who? The Muffin Man. Never heard of him. Where does the Muffin Man live? Oh, last night when we were watching the UF game, I asked Allison if she knew where Oral Roberts was, and I told her that I had no idea. But before uh, we Google it, let's just guess where Oral Roberts is. Also you, Oklahoma. Yeah. I, I was going to guess Indiana. It's Oklahoma. She guessed Indiana. I did. But wow. And I guessed Massachusetts. No, that was way off. My reasoning was I thought Oral Roberts was like a pilgrim. Oh, like an old, yeah, like some old, uh, some old dude who settled up. Like there. a settler, yeah. yeah. That's actually a good. He was a televangelist, wasn't he? I have no idea. Still, I don't. Drury Lane. It's from. Why Drury did you think Lane. it was from Indiana, Brendan? I don't know. It just felt like a Indiana kind of vibe. That's what she said. Yeah, that's uh, that was that was Allison's. That's literally yeah. what she said. That was her. <laughs> yeah, she her said Indiana. Yeah. That was her guess. <laughs> we were shocked to see Tulsa. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Josh Newberg, and I got the whole gang here with me. Chris, Brennan, Zach, the bench is loaded, and we're ready to rip. So let's get into it. Um, I spent my weekend down at IMG Academy for the NFA 7-on-7, but there was a ton of action going on in Tallahassee. I kind of had a I – was, I was missing out, had a little FOMO. Um, FSU held their first scrimmage on Saturday, first of the spring at least. Um, Brendan, I'm going to throw it over to you on this one. Give me a summary of what I missed. How did the how did the scrimmage play out? Well, it was cold and dreary. There was a nice turnout from fans. What'd you say? Like maybe a couple hundred, Chris? Yeah, uh, I don't want to throw it to Chris yet. Don't answer it, Chris. I got it. It was a couple hundred fans. Some recruits in the stands. We'll we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. Uh, but the scrimmage was a scrimmage. I think our audience and our listeners are starting to get a good idea for like whenever someone does something well that, that means someone does something poorly mm-hmm. and it's been a while since we've had access to watch practices consistently be able to kind of like hammer that point home uh, so they're starting to get it a little bit and that's kind of what it was there was some good some bad the offense especially like the first team offense moved the ball really well early struggled to put it into the the end zone which was a problem last year uh, I guess you give credit to the defense uh, like like Fabian Lovett, Emmett Rice, uh, Amari Gaynor, like the middle of the defense kind of bowed up when they had to. So I think you give them credit. Um, but if you want to look at it optimistically, it's like, hey, the offense moved consistently down the field. Uh, we got to see all three quarterbacks kind of kind of move around and and do some decent things at, at times. Obviously, Chubba Purdy was not there. As he uh, He's going to miss the rest of the spring rehabbing. Uh, believe it's going to be uh, similar to the shoulder injuries had, but we haven't gotten quite confirmation on that. Um, so, yeah, there was some good, some bad. I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more, but it was a scrimmage, man. It was a scrimmage. Chris, I want to get your thoughts. This is your first time seeing the team in person this spring. I guess what we're – I tried to not give you too many of my own takes, so that way I didn't want to filter or cloud your judgment. Chris, what were your takeaways of this team in general? Uh, they didn't set my world on fire is probably the best way for me to put it. I mean, it's early. It's spring. It's still install technique fundamentals. That's what it's more about than actual, you know, going out there and putting on an explosive light show. But, you know, the best player of the day was a walk-on running back, and that's not to demean Treshawn Ward. I think we all know that he's pretty damn talented and a guy that easily could be on a scholarship at a lot of schools. But he was the best player offensively on the day. Defensively, you know, a few guys stood out. I thought Travis Jay, Amari Gaynor, Jermaine Johnson, and the limited reps he had, I thought they were all good. But I thought there was a mighty big fall-off on that defensive line after Johnson, especially on the edges. I think the linebacker group is better. I think I was still a year early on my belief system with them last year. Um, it's really about the top four with that group, Rice, Gaynor, and then uh, Lundy and Dix, who got a lot of PT last year and are rounding more into form. And then the secondary, you know, it's missing some pieces right now, so it's kind of an incomplete picture. Uh, I I was only there to about 1130 because I had to get home to cover hoops, so I actually missed Jones's big late play. Sonona knows I enjoy picking on Jones, thinking, yeah. Yeah, every time he gets on mission takeaway, I just think back to last season. Um, you, have a, you have a hard time forgetting uh, that, that he got beat a lot last year. It's yeah. fine. It makes sense. But all in all, I just, you know, I, Jordan Travis's pass to Pokey Wilson, that Pokey 
bobbled and uncontrolled was probably the best throw I saw of the day. I thought Lawrence Tofilly had some nice runs. As I mentioned, Ward had a very good day. You know, Cam McDonald had one drive that he kind of brought to us on his own shoulders. But all in all, there wasn't a whole lot of explosiveness out of the offense in the sense of the passing game getting vertical. I just, I, I don't know. I, I didn't walk away thinking, man, that, that team's drastically improved. I walked away thinking they're a lot more efficient. They know what they're doing. It's a cleaner product. Uh, I thought there were less penalties, especially pre-snap, which is a positive thing to see early in spring. So there were positive things I gleaned from it. But the overall talent, do they have dudes that can put points on the board? And on the other side, dudes that can keep points off the board? I don't know that I saw enough of that. There are some missing pieces that Chris mentioned that make it hard to get a full picture. The offensive line short a couple starters, uh, a defensive end. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson, uh, the drop-off when he exits uh, the field is drastic. But at the same time, uh, Keir Thomas was not participating in the scrimmage. Leonard Warner was not participating in the scrimmage. People may roll their eyes at Leonard Warner. But but he was actually decent at the Fox position after he made the switch last year. And it's probably someone who's going to be depth. A nice depth there. So you're missing probably two of your top Fox uh, players as well. So it's, it's just, again, it's tough to get a, a full big picture of, of what this team is going to be yet. I do think Chris's point that the athleticism and explosiveness uh, with playmakers and an offense built for playmakers is glaring. Uh, Zach, you've covered three practices with me now. Uh, would you agree with that, that at least the skill positions, uh, maybe lacking a little bit, at least what the Florida State standard would be at this time. Yeah, I kind of agree with what Chris said with, are there guys that are going to be able to put up points on the board for Florida State on offense? And I really just don't see a lot of guys like that. Like, who is their go-to receiver? I don't think they really have one right now. Maybe Keyshawn Helton, but he hasn't proven to be like an, an you know, every game reliable receiver to go and get the job done. And I think like, Maybe you get that from Destin Hill when he enrolls over the summer, but I just, it's going to be tough um, for this offense to, you know, put the points they want to put on the board without these playmakers that um, need to get the job done. So I, I, I completely agree. I think the offense has a ways to go before, you know, we consider them uh, an overall uh, solid unit. And I'm not super concerned about the long-term uh projections for the offense. I don't know if it's gonna be explosive this year, but but I do know that Mike Norvell and Kenny Dillingham can scheme their way around some deficiencies. Uh, I just think they are going to be right now limited. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I want to caution people. It's early in the spring. Mm-hmm. Things do get better. You know, a guy like Kentron Portier, or Portier, God, I did that. Uh, Kentron Portier, he's, you know, coming along. He started spring rough. He's been better. He was pretty good Saturday in general. There are guys, you know, Burrell, McLean at receiver that can come along. Running back, I like that group, but there's not a guy I love in that group. Uh, Toe Philly's probably the guy most capable of being kind of the breakout big play guy, but I don't know that he's built to handle a heavy workload at the same time. He's still not particularly a large human being. I just don't know if he's built to bang. I think that's some of the reason you have a guy like a DJ Williams and a guy who Jay Sean Corbin is a little more physically prepared to do that in that room too. And Corbin's by far the most reliable guy in that room, but I don't think he's an explosive guy in that room. He's not a running back one to me at most places, or at least at the standard of what FSU would like to be at running back position, I believe. And that's not a knock on Corbin, talented kid. He's putting in the work. He's going to be productive. He's going to be a reliable piece. I just don't think he's that game changer. And then, you know, I, I just – I don't know. I, I I left it thinking they can be a better team. They're certainly not going to play themselves out of games with the way they looked on Saturday, but they're not particularly impressive from a talent standpoint was just my takeaway. Like, and that's a single scrimmage two hour view takeaway. That's right. all. This is all small sample size, especially for Chris, because he had just just the one viewing window so far. But even for us, like we've seen, I've seen four, Zach's seen three. Like that's not a ton of time uh, still in the grand scheme of things, especially like with someone like McKenzie Milton, who's still kind of learning the offense. And there's a ton of variables. There's a ton of things that can still happen, not even between now and the end of the spring, but but now and, and through fall camp. So uh, one point that I was talking about with Josh the other day, it was yesterday we were talking on the phone. I guess he was talking to someone within the, the evaluation industry that, that said it really well, Josh, uh, with the wide receiver depth that they have. Do you want to articulate that here on the Oh, pod? yeah. Shout out to Fish. Um, we were there 
Zach was part of this conversation, but yeah. And I think it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Fish was saying simply FSU's loaded with number threes. Like you would be happy with a bunch of these guys being your number three and they'd be quality threes like Keyshawn Helton, uh, Brian Robinson, Ontario Wilson, all these guys, they, you'd, you'd be happy if they were number, your number three FSU just lacks the one and the two. Like yeah, they I, don't, no matter how hard you squint, you can't find that on the roster. I, I think Sinone may have said it to me, or maybe one of the people we were sitting with on Saturday, they asked who I thought would start at wide receiver. And I immediately said parchment. Right. Andrew yeah, Parchment. I, I think the guy coming in is better than anything they currently have. Well, that's why he's being brought in as well, right? I mean, that's right. why you go with the grad transfer and you're willing to roll the dice with him coming in May instead of being here in the Springs because you are fairly hard up at that position right now. It's um, similar to Jermaine Johnson. It's just an instant upgrade at a position that needs an instant upgrade. Mm-hmm. I, I have a theory here. I'm going to throw this out to whoever wants it. I think it's a good talking point for us, assuming that there's probably still. And Marcus and Douglas is out there practicing. Uh, he's put on a lot of weight, but he's actually moving fairly well for a big guy. I'm not sure whether he projects long-term at offensive tackle at this point, or is like a jumbo tight end. Like they'll spread him out in space. He just towers over everyone else. But that's one cool to see because uh, the word we were getting in during the season was one, he wasn't scrim- practicing at all. And two, uh, there was legitimate thoughts that that maybe he was going to have to be medically disqualified. Uh, so that, that hasn't happened at this point. And that'd be really great if you can salvage his career. Uh, but that, what I mean is, is we, there's probably like one scholarship left if you can find it, maybe. Uh, and I, I know for a long or time, two. Um, or two. So, but I know for a long time we've said, hey, offensive tackle is going to be the priority in the back half of the offseason. That's what you have to do is get a grad transfer in there to solidify the line. I, I still haven't really moved off that point, but Darius Washington has looked competent physically. You're seeing what a full offseason can do for him. Uh, I think there's still depth questions on the offensive line, but throwing this question out here, guys, if you only had one, given the information and what we can see so far here in the spring, would you be open to the idea of if a really talented, dynamic playmaker, whether a wide receiver or running back, someone who can do something special with the ball in his hands is available and you can get him? Would you go ahead and, and roll the dice on that rather than holding out for an offensive tackle transfer? Hmm, making you think. These are the kind of questions we ask here on OTB. I. I still think tackle is a bigger glaring need, but at the same time, you got to have dudes that can light up the scoreboard. So I, to me, it's probably just a value take. It's what's the best thing available to you that can help your football team in the immediate future. Yeah, I would, I would use both scholarships on a skill player. Um, running back and wide receiver. Oh, you, you would double down. You say, screw offensive tackle. We're getting a wide receiver and a running back. to put Yeah. Up I just think realistically, I mean, ideally I would take an offensive tackle and a, and a, and a wide receiver probably. But I think realistically, look, we've seen what's hitting the market at offensive tackle and there's not much. And we've seen that when quality does hit the market, it's been tough for FSU to even get their name in the hat. So I want to see what happens, you know, after the spring, but realistically, yeah, I think that's the direction it's going to go. I think that they need to take some more uh, skill players. One dynamic to the offensive line that's not included in the spring is Jordan Wilson's impact at helping one of the two sides consistently. That's something that I think we'll see inserted once he's healthy. And, you know, that, that is something that I think will make a big difference compared to last season at those positions. All right. For those that, well, me and Zach were down at IMG, so I'm just going to ask this to Chris and Brendan, but give me some, uh, give me a top performer on offense and a top performer on defense. Uh, defense, I would probably go with Gainer um, as far as the most at bats and making the most impact on the day. And then offensively, I'd probably go, I mean, Ward was the best offensive player on the day if we're just shooting it straight. Trayshawn Ward. I, want to be interesting and say different things than Chris, but Armari Gaynor and Emmett Rice were up there for me. I think you can make the case for either one, but, but Gaynor made a few more splash plays, especially at the end of practice, a uh, big stick against Lawrence to in space uh, also recovered a fumble that Jerry and Jones shout out force. Take that Chris. Uh, so, so yeah. And he also had a big stop at, at the goal line as well. Amari Gaynor is really settling into that inside linebacker role. I think Adam Fillers, Adam Fuller said, after the scrimmage that there's going to be incremental growth and then kind of <clears throat> some periods of plateauing. I think we're seeing him jump to be more comfortable mm-hmm. uh, at running back. Uh, 
Trayshawn Ward was the guy. Lawrence Philly had some some nice plays. I could have stand to see him uh, make a few more misses in the open field, but I'll give Trayshawn Ward credit. When he got in the open field, he forced a couple missed tackles. So I think two big ones that Brennan Gant wish he would have had back. Uh, but but Trayshawn Ward was really good, and and that isn't a fluke either, Josh. Like he's been he's been legitimately solid throughout the spring. Uh, he makes he makes a play every practice. We see him. Okay, I want to hit on a few things, a few major themes. Um, defensive line, specifically the pass rush. Is it better than last year, the defensive, the defensive line? Um, so I think Jermaine Johnson, I'm gonna I'll bring in Zach to help me with this because he's seen three days of it so far. It's incomplete at this point. Jermaine Johnson. Do you buy or Sano in the defensive line being better than last year? Neither. I think it's pretty similar, truthfully. Hold. It's a hold. Diamond hands. There you have it. I think it. Jermaine Johnson is better than anything they had last year based off of the single practice plus my expectations of what he's capable of. But the interior, I think, has taken a step back to a slight degree. From a depth from a depth perspective. Yeah. Like last it's year. Not like the interior was really good last year. Dennis Briggs, I think, is going to be maybe more productive than anybody last year was. And Fabian mm-hmm. Lovett's going to be a nice second piece. Again, the problem with the interior is that I don't know that there's a guy that can dominate at the point of attack. I don't think Coop was practicing scrimmaging on Saturday. Uh, we're not going to say a whole lot of injury stuff during practices, but if it's an open scrimmage where anyone could be out there, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about what we see openly, I think. Uh, so, again, you're without half of your starting defensive line without Kier Thomas and, and Robert Cooper. But I am with Chris that the interior depth does concern me a little bit. I think you're really relying on True Thompson or Malcolm Ray to take a step up. Uh, I like Josh Farmer, what we see of him in practice, but he's still got a way to go, ways to go physically. Uh, he looks still like he's a defensive end, even though he's added weight and they're asking him to play inside. Uh, but I think Jermaine Johnson is special. Zach, would you agree? Like, I think Jermaine Johnson looks like an NFL caliber defensive end, probably like a like a mid to, to early round pick. Yeah, I mean, at least from the practices that I've seen, he's been pretty dominant. Like, he, he like, blows up drills and, like, the offensive line really has, you know, struggles to uh, stop him in, like, any drill that they run, so... I, I wasn't, you know, out at a bunch of practices last season, so I can't really speak to how, you know, guys like Kando or Robinson were doing like, versus this offensive line. But from what I've seen from him this spring, he, he's looked pretty elite. Well, the skeptics are going to point that out, Zach, that last year uh, Kando apparently looked like a million bucks in preseason camp. And that was against- just according to Adam Fuller. No, that was everyone. And we had people. Look at Josh like, just singling a man out. Just singling it a man out. It wasn't. No, Mike I mean, Norvell. It was more Mike Norvell. That Fuller was, is uh, one more to walk a guy back in the yeah. department than anything, truthfully. And he's that yes. way in general with his defense. Um, I know people, that's a contentious word around these parts with some people, but Adam Fuller is not one to hype it up as much as kind of walk it back, in my opinion. No. Norvell was the one that was really excited about Kando. And again, like the feedback we were getting from, from sources that were there, like in practice I'm and not just coaches. Okay. I'm just saying like the Kando stuff was legitimate. It was uh, from the, all directions. Yes. The the concern at the time, the caveat was like, Hey, is this offensive line of the tackles that bad? Or is the defensive end that good? And in past years, you know, it's been usually the offensive line is not very good. And like Marvin Wilson's on the verge of a breakout season, which he was as a as a junior, or Brian Burns is hey, on block. And then you ever think maybe Kando just peaked too early? <laughs> he peaked in mid-August. <laughs> you gotta you gotta kick at the end. You gotta save yourself for for what it matters. That's true. Okay. There's uh, another rumor. Hold on, there's another rumor flying around. Not rumor, but there's like some undercurrents of talk going on that maybe Jordan Travis could win this QB battle. Um, I'm not moving off my, my stand that I think it's going to be Mackenzie Milton game one, but is there some truth to this that Jordan Travis is looking pretty good? I'll start with this. Uh, one, Chris's heart's going to be broken. They're not going to name a starter after the spring. I think that's very clear oh, at this point. I've accepted that fate. Yeah, uh, that, that's very clear. <laughs> uh, and part of it is Jordan Travis has looked to be the most consistent quarterback running this offense, which makes sense. He has the most experience running this offense. McKenzie Milton, like the first day or two, Zach and I were there. So that had been day two and day three of practice. Mm-hmm. So you could tell he was throwing and, and missing and, and just didn't seem the way I observed it and absorbed it was he looked uncomfortable. He didn't look like he knew quite where he wanted to go with the ball or where the wide receivers 
were supposed to be. That kind of has changed in the last two or three practices where he seems to be much more like demonstrative in running the offense. Like he he's pointing his finger, like telling the guys where you need to be when he misses the throw, he's mad at himself instead of unsure at himself. So he's making progress there. That being said, he's only had six practices. He's got 11 more math, right? No, nine more. Jesus, Brendan early still. Um, there's still nine more practices in the spring to kind of still see how much growth there is. Uh, but I fully expect that position battle, Josh, to go into well into the offseason, into the summer camp. And I think they're going to use both quarterbacks this year a good amount. I think McKenzie Milton ultimately is still the guy I think starts. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think you have Jordan Travis peppered in there a, a ton, a ton. Right. Um, I don't know. I'll throw, this to, I'll throw this to Chris based on what he's seen in his one sample size. And then if you want to throw it to Zach, and then we'll go back to you, Josh. Uh, that's that's how I'm viewing it. I was pleased to see Travis hit the one down the sideline of Wilson. That's a throw I don't think he makes last year. He, he looked good. He had a good day. Um, I thought KZ was fine too for being my first sample of him in an FSU uniform. I yeah, I'm not here to crown somebody right hey. now. I I still think in the end it's going to be Milton starting for FSU when they open against Notre Dame. Chris, before we get to Zach's thoughts on it, because he's seen both those guys a little bit more than than you have. Um, no offense. Uh, Casey does look I'm physically – it's just factual. Um, he, Casey does look physically, like, competent, right? Like, I want our listeners to understand yeah. that that he can move around. Yeah, he, the, the knee brace is clunky, but, yeah, he's moving fine. He's comfortable moving and throwing. He moved to his right. He moved to his left. He moved while running forward, while also taking steps backwards. There was a, an array of movements within that scrimmage, and I didn't at any point go, oh, wow, like, my God. Like, you can tell he's had a catastrophic injury. I didn't have a single moment like that in the 90 or so minutes of watching him out there. All right, Zach, who's going to win the position battle? Jordan Travis, McKenzie Milton, or Dark Horse, Tate Rotomaker? Oh, man, it's tough to say because I really like what Jordan Travis has done with his, with his passing game this spring and, and like uh, – like Chris was saying, it looks like he's making throws that he wasn't able to make last season. So I think it's going to be more competitive than people um, might have thought entering the spring just because of Milton's history at UCF and his dominance there. But I, I still think that you you bring Milton in, I think I think he ends up being the starter for them. Yeah, I, I I think so too. I think that's ultimately why you bring him in. That's the reason why you're not naming the starter in the spring is you want to give him every opportunity to, to to keep growing. So I think that's still ultimately where we go. I just I'll tell you, Zach was smitten by Jordan Travis the first two days of practice, and like you saw him throwing the ball with with confidence and authority. Um, well, yeah, like and from what the returns were from uh, you know fall camp and like spring last the three practices that we saw mm-hmm. um, last year you guys were basically saying that, you know, Jordan Travis wasn't able to make like any of the throws and now he's making, you know, really nice throws down the field. So it just from the improvement has been, um, you know, noticeable. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was so impressed with him over the first couple of practices. Yeah. The, the throw was, he made in a scrimmage that Chris pointed to that he painted a freaking corner, the one that he, he dropped it only where his guy can get it. It was beautiful. There was a good wind in Doak on Saturday, too. And Jordan, in the past, early on in his time at FSU, there were days where the wind would get the better of his arm and him. And I didn't think that was an issue Saturday. So that's an odd place to point to. And it's clear that his confidence has increased and his understanding of the offense has increased. He's quicker with the trigger, and he's definitely thinking about the offense in the sense of how it's supposed to be thought about. But he's not thinking in real time. It's not a read. He's just reacting now. But when he does mess up, it's clear that he knows exactly why he messed up instead of kind of having a, well, I don't get why that happened, which is what happened last year for all the quarterbacks because of the lack of a spring. Kenny Dillingham, remember, Chris, he had the anecdote after the scrimmage where he was talking about Jordan's understanding of the offense. and and I was a half second late. Right. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. so exactly. He went through a a year ago. He maybe wouldn't have even seen like the fourth, his fourth progression. He wouldn't even gotten to that point. Now he got to it. Now he's getting to it like maybe a little bit late, but is realizing it right away. So like that's, again, growth uh, that you're wanting to see. Yeah, and that was a general theme on the offense on Saturday is that they looked like they knew what the heck they were trying to execute, what they were trying to do. It's just a matter of sometimes it doesn't produce much. It did look more efficient. That's the last thing I want to get to and get your thoughts on, Chris. Uh, two different points here, and then we could kind of wrap up and go to a commercial break. We got hoops, recruiting stuff, baseball had a nice week. So we have a lot to get to here. Uh, but a so nice let, week? 
a great week, an amazing week. I don't want to. I don't want to. Maybe the best week ever. I'm here for some hyperbole. Yes, that's that's. If anything, you're known for being hyperbolic. Yes, and not measured. That that's certainly your your thing. Um. All right. So two things. One, you mentioned this earlier and kind of hinted around it, Chris. But I do want to like paint this picture that that the baseline of fundamentals of kind of understanding what they're trying to do scheme wise is seemingly much further ahead than it was say in camp last year. So like, that's good. I think seeing that continuity kind of translate over where guys seem to know where they're supposed to be. If they miss a play, they're mad. Like, so, so that's one part of it. I want to get your thoughts on Chris. The second though, it's, it's still the physical development. Like there's some guys who have certainly popped, but, but then you see like Jermaine Johnson and like what he's looked like with his a couple years at, at Georgia. I think it shows just how far the program still has to go in terms of getting guys who can grow into that upside type of player. And then to just the developmental part of the program, still you need time, the strength of the conditioning program to get it in the right direction. Yeah. And there's second year guys within this strength and conditioning that are showing signs of progress. Amari Gaynor immediately comes to mind as one of those guys. Um, Truthfully, the linebacker group as a whole is a pretty physically impressive group in the sense of seeing gains and things you want to see. And, you know, Jerry and Jones is another guy. Uh, I would point out as someone who's done a good job of developing within the strength and conditioning, but yes, in general, FSU needs some more genetic freaks on their roster. Um, but yeah, it's a cleaner product. Uh, the, there were not a whole lot of pre-snap penalties. There wasn't a whole lot of good play taken away by bad decision type of stuff. And just in general, it was efficient. It didn't seem like there was a whole lot of guys looking and trying to figure out what the heck was going on. There wasn't a whole lot of guys out of place. I thought the spacing defensively was very good. Now, there were still some blown gaps that allowed for big plays. But it wasn't like last year where they were just getting eaten alive in practices by stuff on the fringes or stuff up big tunnels. There was a lot less of that. Um, yeah, in general, it's a team that looks a lot more comfortable with whiteboard work that they've done with this coaching staff over the last year. And God knows, you know, how much things were shut down last year for them and how much was virtual. There was a great deal of teaching that went on. And I think you can see that in the mental aspect of the approach. I'm starting a six and six campaign this offseason. And that's basically just get us to six and six with the recruiting class you're putting together. I think if you get to six and six. Uh, that gives you a chance to start doing some really special things and start turning around. I think the most important thing for FSU football in 2021 is don't be your own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. You can win some games if you just play good, efficient football, smart, good enough. The issue is they're going to play some teams that have a lot of talent on the field, and I don't know if they have enough guys that can help combat that for them. First you lose by a lot, then you lose by a little, then you win by a little, then you win by a lot. I think they're making the step towards losing by a little. And and if you can just show functionality and, and core competency, I don't want to blow smoke up people's, you knows what, like, I don't think this is going to be an amazing football team based on what we've seen early on here, but I do think there's going to be a level of competency that shows to, to coaching and, and program and development overall. If you can keep doing that, win six games, You'll be all right. So with yeah. that in mind, oh, go ahead, Chris. I was well, I was going to say the development is a good point because it is a group that is being developed and mm-hmm. that's a positive sign. That's something that's lacked around these parts. And I think it's being developed in strength and conditioning. It's being developed in making guys into better football players. It's being developed into trying to maximize what you do have. The thing for them now is they need an insulation of talent. Yep. That's, that's where we're at right now. And actually, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to talk about recruiting in, in that infusion of talent, as well as a great weekend, according to Chris. Actually, it really was. The for, best uh, weekend <laughs> ever. Oh, the Boston came out. All right, we'll be right back after the commercial break. Okay, we're back here on the bench. Sorry, I have so many podcasts. I, I almost said the wrong thing there. I think I have too many podcasts. What do you think, The Chris? bourbon stock bench. <laughs> <laughs> I can't talk about the other ones on this podcast. Um. Chris, let's talk about baseball. You're all up in your feelings in a good way about this baseball team. Remember when we were talking about it like two or three weeks ago, whether like, hey, is it too early to panic? Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Well, they were they were two and four, and they were striking out about 17 per game rate, and they were still committing some errors, and the pitching was actually pretty good in that stretch. But the hitting was so dreadful that, yeah, you were ready to – I was ready to panic button at two and four. But, hey, look at us now. Over the last 10 all-against-ranked opponents, they went 8-2. and two. That included series wins at home against Virginia, a series win at Virginia Tech, which is a very crucial series I'll dive into in a minute, 
and then a midweek demolishing of the Florida Gators, 10 to 2. And then they went to Miami and delivered Miami the worst series loss in Miami's history. You know, a history that's only like 80 something year, odd years old. FSU over the last four games has outscored Florida and three against Miami, 44 to 4, I believe is the number. So, yeah, that's maybe the best week ever in FSU baseball. And here's the other thing. No errors in the field for FSU on the weekend. I can't remember the last time they had a three-game series where they committed no errors. And as much as the hitting's come to life and Robbie Martin's been awesome in that stretch and Matt Nelson's on pace for 20 home runs and, you know, there's bats that are coming alive. you got Parker Messick, pitcher hitting, and that was a spark that came about in the Virginia Tech series that has paid dividends over the next week. As much as all that's been good, the pitching is freaking outstanding they're getting quality starts bullpen is shutting teams down they're striking teams out at high rates they're not issuing free base runners you know the lack of extra base hits allowed is very impressive bryce hubbard on saturday gets into a bases loaded jam in the first a year ago and mike martin jr even said this yesterday a year ago he'll go off the rails there it's going to go bad he's going to give up several runs he's going to get run bad inning fsu's in a hole saturday he worked himself out of it I think that speaks to Jimmy Bellinger's work with that pitching staff and how he's developed some guys and how he's very good at communicating with the individual players. I think that's the thing that stands out the most to me about what Belly does beyond developing pitches, increasing velocity, working on mixing things up. It's the fact that he's an excellent communicator with each individual pitcher. You think about a guy like Parker Messick, straight bulldog, super aggressive, you know, kind of Stuart Tapley on the mound in the sense of having that emotional investment in the game. And then you got a guy like Bryce Hubbard, who's much more cerebral, you know, living on the mound, very different. And he's great at approaching both of those guys and maximizing them. And he, that's true throughout two dozen pitchers he has at his disposal this year. So, yeah, FSU's back in the polls. They were 15 in baseball America, 17 in D1 baseball, 8-2 and two over the last 10, all against ranked opponents in that stretch. The reason VTech series was so important, not to be rude, but VTech's fans are lowbrow. And they were rude as hell to the FSU baseball teams. And fans are rude in general. That's sort of what comes with what baseball fans do. But VTech was a special level rude. And I think it was a galvanizing moment for FSU. FSU played really poorly on a Saturday, March 13th at VTech. They lost 5 nothing. I think they had three hits in that game. Just an all-around poor game for FSU. They come out the next day and they win 14-7. They jumped on VTech early. And it was clear they were emotionally invested and sort of pissed off. And Matt Nelson, when he was speaking to the media yesterday after the conclusion of Miami series, pointed out that series and one that they realized they were a much better team than they how they had played for a portion of the early part of the schedule. And two, they like each other and they're they're there for each other. And they're going to stick up for each other. And I think that's come to the forefront for them. And to go to Miami and just, I mean, every single game, Florida included in the three at Miami, they jumped on them early, got great quality starts, and they just kept pouring on the runs. They're hitting at an unbelievable lick compared to what they were early in the season. Robbie Martin, who I think is the best hitter on that team, has really come alive and been excellent over the last two weeks, especially this past week. And then Matt Nelson, who's the unquestioned leader of that offense, in my opinion, and probably the unquestioned leader of that team behind the play because FSU baseball is very much built around their catchers historically. He He's an excellent guy to have in that because, one, he's extremely positive. Two, he's getting it done both offensively and defensively. He's just leading that bunch. So FSU will welcome UCF to Tallahassee. They return home on Wednesday. I don't know why I kept saying Tuesday earlier. And then uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they host Wake Forest. So things are looking much better. You know, the ACC is still a gauntlet. It's a very, very good league this year. But the preseason expectation for this team was that the pitching was going to be as good as it had been in a long time. They were going to be better at fielding, which they most certainly have been. And that the hitting had enough capable beings to do it. A guy like Robbie Martin, a guy like Reese Albert, a guy like Matt Nelson and a few others. And the truth is the hitting has been a mix uh, results type thing. You know, a guy like Reese Albert's a little banged up right now. Didn't play this past weekend, but Parker Messick gets put into the lineup and just gives FSU an instant spark. A guy like Logan Lacey, who's been banged up a little bit here and there, but when he's played, he's given them two home runs, some big hits consistently. Robbie Martin's come to life. Matt Nelson's been the guy we expected. A guy like Nander DeSantis is batting so much better than he did a year ago. They've really taken a huge step forward offensively. And now baseball's a weird game. Sometimes as quick as it comes, it will go. And it will be interesting to see if they can be more consistent moving forward, not necessarily in the sense of gorilla ball beating the hell out of teams like they have here recently, 
but more in a sense of continue to field while pitch at a high level, get timely hits, get valuable outs. And if they can do those things, they're going to win a lot of baseball games. Come on. It felt really good to beat Miami three games in then oh, God. Florida, Florida as well. It, it was one game. It's kind of like, Oh, and especially Friday coming off of the Florida game, you have that feeling of like, Oh, you like, you know, they did it two in a row, but then they immediately do it again Saturday and then do it again on Sunday. It was just kind of like, wow, like it, it was weird. I I've watched FSU baseball heavily for what, 27, 28 years now. I can never remember a four game stretch against two teams considered top 10 teams in the country where they just beat the ever living hell out of them in all every game they played. And you know, they've had good teams. They hadn't swept Miami since I think it was 2012 at Hauser. They hadn't swept at Miami since 02. So, you know, those two teams are usually extremely competitive. You're happy with a series victory, but to go and do what you do over a three-game stretch against a Miami team that had only lost one series all year, beat Florida in the opening series of the year, I think that speaks volumes of just how much they've progressed. And you know, it's funny, you you try deep diving with questions with Mike Martin Jr. about what's happened for this team. They just, they gained confidence and they believed in one another and they started stacking hits on one another and valuable outs. And, you know, it just kind of came together. And so baseball is a weird game. You know, I think anybody that follows baseball adamantly understands sometimes the best teams in the world have a bad day type thing. But to do it so consistently for a four-game stretch of just – the same replication of what you're doing. It was kind of insane to watch. I'm going to try an experiment here. Josh, can you explain what you didn't get to watch basketball? Can you explain what happened to basketball over the weekend? Me? Yeah. I was at IMG, Florida State one. The only thing I know, I was, I was standing out on a football field and Chris Knee was <laughs> perturbed. Let's just say he was a little ticked off at watching uh this basketball team underperformed. That's all I know. They underperformed based on the Knowles 24-7 group chat. It was not underperform as much as the same ghosts keep haunting them. They get a big lead. They got up by 16 in the first half against UNC Greensboro. And the opening round of NCAA tournament, just to set the stage. And basketball is a game of runs, so this comes and goes. But FSU this year has, especially recently, not closed first halves in the sense of putting their foot on the throat of the opponent. And too often they allow them to creep back in. And then the beginning of the second half is where it all gets real dicey real fast. And that started happening again on Saturday. You know, the first basket of the second half, UNC Greensboro ties it up. Then FSU goes on a nice run and stretches it out, gets comfortable. And then here we go. It gets tightened up. It's 51-50 with around five minutes left. Raekwon Gray shows up, hits back-to-back buckets, makes it 55-50. FSU clamps down on defense, closes it out nine to four run after those two baskets. So 13 to four run overall to close it out, you know, 64, 54 to advance in the NCAA tournament. I mean, hell it, it is painful right now mm-hmm. for high seeds. You know, we've had the most upsets I think ever in the NCAA tournament to this point. I think we're one away from the most upsets ever in the NCAA tournament in the sense of teams that are seated like five spots lower than the team they're playing. So that speaks to how much the tournament's just been turned upside down. So be happy they advanced, and I, I live in those boots. But FSU basketball this year offensively I think is as good as it's ever been and defensively is capable of being pretty good but very inconsistent in that regard. Saturday they won largely because of their defense because offensively they didn't hit a single three-pointer. Buckets were at times tough to come by. They're a little too turnover happy, which has been a recurring theme here in recent stretches, but they did win. So they play Colorado this evening, 7.45 p.m., uh, they play at Uwe Pui. Yes, I said Uwe Pui. And the game will be on TBS. I don't know if I mentioned that already. Colorado's a five seed. Oh, IUP. That's in Indiana. For, uh, yeah. Throwback to the cold opening. Yes. Um, Colorado defeated Georgetown, demolished them, hit 16 three-pointers in their game to win. I don't think that's a good sample size of what Colorado really is. They're a capable three-point shooting team, but they usually average seven to eight makes in a game, not 16 like Saturday, which I think tied a tournament record, in fact. Maybe Um, Colorado got all theirs out of the system and FSU not making a three, um, you know, do for a couple to go. I mean, FSU had not gone without a three in a game since 2018 against NC State in February of 2018. So FSU advances, plays Colorado. You know, I'm not going to dive too deep into Colorado because, you know, people have read stuff and know stuff. Jabari Walker was the guy that got hot against Georgetown, scored a career-high 24 points. 
He's a big man that comes off the bench, good perimeter shooter, actually probably their best dead-eye shooter percentage-wise. But the guy that makes them go, senior guard McKinley Wright, he's damn good, 15.4 per game, 5.8 assists, 1.1 steals. The one thing I like about the FSU matchup with Colorado, Colorado doesn't come off as an extremely ball pressure heavy team in the sense of where they're going to get up in you. They're not going to Alvarado you where they, you know, basically try to tackle you and steal the ball and see if the official won't call it. They're not that. They're they're going to play a little more loose. The concerning thing with Colorado is that they're a team that can assist at a high level and knock down threes. FSU, some of their poison this year has been when teams have dribbled, break down on them, kick it out, knock them down. You know, Notre Dame did some of that, for example, and that was an issue for them. Uh, you know, we'll see. The the tournament at this point, I think the best way of viewing it is sort of coin flip with a lot of these teams. FSU has been here, Sweet 16 recently. You know, this is three in a row for them. Or I'm sorry, round of 32 with a chance to advance to the Sweet 16. This is three in a row in the sense of possibly moving on to the Sweet 16. Uh, Colorado has not been there, but I don't know how much that matters with the fact that there was a pause last year and you don't build year over year momentum in that regard. So it will be interesting. I, I think Evan Batty is a guy who's going to be a bit of a concern for FSU if he's effective on the boards. He's probably the guy that will give them the best chance of having a chance at winning the battle on the boards against FSU. They're not exactly a team that plays real big. They're more guard heavy. Um but yeah, it begins and it ends with McKinley Wright. If you let McKinley Wright kill you, you're going to lose. If you take him away, then it's a matter of not allowing a guy like a Jabari Walker who took it to Georgetown or a guy like Dry Horn or Evan Batty or Deshaun Schwartz or Dallas Walton or Eli Parquet to get going. And FSU against UNC Greensboro, Isaiah Miller got his, but he had to work real hard to get it. It was their number two guy that more kind of put on a show against FSU. And that, that's been a theme over the history of Leonard Hamilton here is where they're very good at taking away the one option and forcing the two to try to beat them. And sometimes the two is capable of beating them. So I think the key with Colorado is take away that one of right, try not to allow the two to beat you, and make your shots. I think FSU will shoot it much better. Here's to hoping that MJ Walker gets out of his now almost month-long funk. He's been banged up, so a little bit of an excuse for the young man, but he can still play a higher level ball and definitely take care of the ball better than he has. And I hope Scotty Barnes is a little more engaged in the sense of being on the attack from the get-go in this game than we saw in UNC Greensboro, where he, in the first half, I believe, went scoreless. Prediction? Score? Let's go. Oh, I hate predictions. I know you do. That's why I'm making you do it. I think I will be going to Indianapolis next week to cover FSU in the Sweet 16. Ooh, a little St. Elmo's action? Uh, if possible, yeah, certainly. I mean, why else do you go to Indianapolis? I mean, if you don't do St. Elmo's, that's, yeah. That's and apparently, spot. according to Kurt Weiler and Brett Nevitt, shout out to two other guys on the beat who are out there, there's an unbelievable food court right near the hotel. <laughs> oh, okay. That sounds like Yes, there's an Annie Ann's. I saw Annie Ann's being eaten during a baseball uh, press conference yesterday. I went ooh, I went to Indianapolis back when I was at the Sentinel to cover the uh, the combine with the year Jameis was in there. Then obviously all the other guys, Darby, uh, Cam Irving, uh, big year, big year for FSU there. And I made the mistake of my hotel was about like a mile and a half away and just saying like, I could walk there. I didn't have anything other than my chucks to walk in. And it was, it snowed and it was legitimately the coldest February, I think in the history of, of Indianapolis. One other note I'll mention on Colorado. Oh, never mind. Fine. I thought we were talking about. No, that. you're good. I just figured that story kind of stood on its own. Defensively, they're capable. They hold teams 63.6 points per game, which is 27th in the nation. The other thing is, again, they're not a heavy turnover forcing team, 13.1 per game, which is 184th in the nation, but just 5.2 steals per game, which is 283rd in the nation. But they are an excellent free throw shooting team. Percentage-wise, they're the best free throw shooting team in the country. They're 431 for 524 at line this year. That's 82.3%. So not a game down a stretch where you want to have to be sending Colorado to the line because they're probably going to make them. And also not a game where, you know, FSU gets into some games, pit a couple years ago comes to mind, where the other team just lives at the line. If that happens, it might be a really long day for FSU if Colorado lives at the line. I think the key for FSU more than anything is kind of to deny McKinley Wright being the ball handler, take him away from that sense, make Colorado beat you with the other four guys moving the ball, try to use your length, and maybe make them uncomfortable. Kind of play, dictate it with defense is what I would like to see from FSU. All right. Thank you, Chris. That was uh, 
very thorough and we're now all well-informed. But I want to talk some recruiting. Is that okay, Brandon? Can I can I do this? Yes, Snark. You can talk recruiting. Go ahead. <laughs> Stark Newberg. Wait, Snark. I said Stark. Stark would make you like a superhero. All right. Didn't somebody uh, call – wasn't there a time on the beat where somebody called somebody Tony Stark one time by accident? Oh, uh, I think it, was, it may have been – I don't want to – it may have been Pear Bear called uh, – <laughs> Pear Bear. Uh, Josh really wants to get Perry from uh, from Tomahawk Nation, and I like Perry's uh, – Perry does things in a different way, and I appreciate I want that. to bring back he wants Meet to, the Beat yeah. just so we can get Perry on, and I probably <laughs> ask Brendan once a week if we can do it. Uh, the is issue is we need to get like three or four people on to get this. Just bringing in one randomly for Meet the Beat, it feels weird to me. Oh, so. we could get Corey Clark and Ira. Yeah, that, that seems to be unlikely based on past attempts. <laughs> he did call somebody Tony Stark, though, right? I'm not yeah, crazy. I uh, remember that. The, uh, the quarterback uh, GA, Tony, um, I don't want to call him Tony Stark now, Tony. Tokarts. Tokarts. He got me to want to say it with an S, and I know that wasn't right. Yes. Uh, who, who was the tight end coach at Memphis that now works with the QBs here at FSU. Uh, remember when, when, when he was getting moved guys. up for Miami? What? Josh, talk your recruiting. I'm sorry, buddy. I, I got off. I've got you, Brendan, you let me talk a little baseball my get going, and then Tony Stark flies in the conversation. I just can't help myself. I like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, if there's going to be one of the Marvel movies I'm going to watch over and over again, it's going to be going to be that. Man, I've never seen any of these movies. Oh, uh, you would actually, care. you would like one. I, can we make them watch this? Culture Project. Take that I picture and roll up. down it in Bradenton all weekend uh, with Zach. Zach, wake up. These guys are done. It's you, It's our time to shine. Finally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. We were down in, in Bradenton at IMG for the NFA 7v7. It was um, it was well attended. I wouldn't say it was like one of the most talented seven-on-sevens I've ever been to, but it wasn't a complete waste of time. And lately, seven-on-sevens have kind of been a complete waste of time. Um, but nonetheless, Team Tampa came out with the championship. No surprise there. A, a great foundation was laid 10, 12 years ago with that program, and it's good to see that they're still winning. Um, some of the guys that stood out, of course, it was my first chance to see Travis Hunter. Um, what a special athlete. Zach, explain why he was running with South Florida Express this week. Yeah, so um, before the season – like the seven on uh, circuit season, they were kind of like uh, trying to get Hunter, like the South Florida Express team was trying to get Hunter to play with them this, you know, this circuit. And he ended up going to play for a team in Houston, I think it's Fast Houston, um, for like three tournaments. Mm-hmm. And then for this tournament, um, you know, they, they decided to hit him up again and he was like down. So he flew down on Friday he spent the night there and just drove up to the tournament Saturday morning with them. So it was kind of last minute, but um, that's the reason why he came down with them. Yeah. And he fit right in. Uh, South Florida Express is an extremely talented program. Um, and Hunter was out there. Hunter played mainly wide receiver the first day. And then he played a lot of corner the second. Um, I know he's switching back to wide receiver as well. I've stated on this podcast that I am a Travis Hunter at wide receiver fan. Um, I'm not saying that that's where the staff projects him, but just based on me watching him and him and knowing what FSU needs. And if you listen to the front side of this podcast, makes sense. Travis Hunter, I think, would be one of the best wide receivers in the country if that's where he chose to line up in college. Um, he He's extremely fluid seeing him, seeing him live. Um, his ability and his range to catch the football was, was kind of unmatched out there. Do you, Zach, do you agree? Do you think he was the best wide receiver at the camp? Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of other good receivers there, but um, when he goes up to get the ball, he rarely doesn't come down with it. So he's just a bouncy athlete. And I think he's like, like you said, like if he decided that he wanted to play receiver at the next level, he'd probably be, you know, one of, the top ranked receivers in the country. He's not like super polished at the position, but his upside is ridiculous just because of how great of an athlete he is. Like he's, he's not like running like insanely strict and, you know, great routes at this point because he, he isn't really focused on 
being an elite receiver. He's, he's trying to project as a corner on the next level. So uh, I, I think he, he was definitely the best prospect on both sides um, at the event. Yeah. The thing well, about can... Guardians of the Galaxy is there's oh, a fucking raccoon, and it's hilarious. <laughs> so Josh, you saw Derwin James in the exact same setting doing similar things both sides of the ball. How does Travis compare? Hmm. Travis is more fluid than Derwin James. Like he's more of a of a of a um, smooth route runner and pass catcher. Derwin, we throw because Derwin played for Team Tampa back then. We throw him in in certain times at wide receiver because we needed a spark or we needed to make a play, and he would kind of just play bully ball. Like you, he we'd we'd run him on a seam route down the middle of the field and have him go one on one against somebody, and he'd just come down with it. Um, Travis has a little more to him. You know, he's quick off the line. He can hit you with the slant. He can go deep on you. Um, But the thing that I noticed about him was the way that just when he's out there, his energy resonates. And he, like I said, he was, he was kind of a fish out of water. You know, he's joining South Florida express. Who's uh, who has stars galore on their team anyway, but you could see the respect that he commanded from, some of the some of his teammates at South Florida Express and the way that they would go to him in the huddle and, and welcome him. You know, if he wanted to jump in on a play on on offense, nobody was going to give Travis Hunter any grief about, you know, pulling them out of the game. He just did what he, he did, what he did, and they respected it. But also you could get that sense that when Travis Hunter was on the field, he commanded everybody's attention. There'd be kids. I mean, there'd be a whole team on a field away from Travis talking shit to Travis he breaks the huddle. Travis Hunter starts barking at these players across the, the street, you know, basically across the street. He's yelling at them. He lines up. He runs his route. He catches the ball. He comes down for a touchdown. He just jogs back to the huddle. It's just another day. And you can just tell that when that, that Travis Hunter is an alpha dog and he's an alpha dog everywhere he goes. He knows he's going to get tested. He knows people are going to come at him and try to find his weaknesses, whether that's, you know, physically or mentally. He's prepared for it all in a way that I saw, you know, Jameis Winston. I used to say Jameis Winston's bigger than the moment. Travis Hunter's bigger than the moment. And his peers look up to him. I mean, you almost get that sense when he's running routes and some of the things he does on the football field, the players just kind of witness, like they just kind of stand around and watch him because they're in awe of, of, of this Travis Hunter, you know, character that's out there. And it it was pretty awesome to see. It was pretty awesome to see. To quote the kid on a video. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And he does it in a manner that's like in good fun. Um, he takes, you know, he takes people's words. He responds to them. Don't get me wrong. Um, he's vulgar at times, whatever. But there's a sense like he's out there just playing a game. It's not it's not deeper than that. And he just wants everybody to know that he's the best. And he's going to let you know that he's the best. And by the time this whole thing's over, some of the kids that were talking, you know, talking trash to him, they're the first ones to go up and shake his hand because it's respect. And they were just coming at the alpha dog because everybody knows that he's the he's the big dog. He's the lion. Thor Ragnarok is also I don't think I'm saying it right, but that's also a very good movie. Thor Ragnarok. Brandon Ennis, I want to go over a couple more guys that were on South Florida Express. Um, Brandon Ennis is a 2023 receiver that's been playing ball since his eighth grade year. Zach, you've even been watching this kid for like three years. If Travis Hunter wasn't on the team, I think Brandon Ennis would have probably been the guy that we're talking about right now. Yeah, I mean, he's, he still had some he still had some pretty great like moments over the weekend. Like he, he, I think we have him ranked as the number one receiver in 2023 overall in the country and the fact that him and Travis Hunter were were playing together was kind of crazy and they weren't even the two I would say biggest contributors to that team because there's some slot guys that obviously in seven on seven in that setting play pretty well but yeah Brendan Ennis is a beast um I know Fish we were talking about him earlier loves him a lot and thinks he thinks the world of him so Mm -hmm. he's one of the best wide receivers he's seen come out of Florida since Rashad Green and that says a lot yeah, and, and Brandon Innes doesn't really compare to Rashad Green, and I don't think that's what Fish was saying. He's just saying yeah. in terms of talent. Yeah. Innes has been really good 
I feel like Ennis has been around for five years already, and he's a 23 kid. But I think he that's has been essentially around for like five years. I mean, that's the crazy thing about him. He's been competing at a high level since I think after seventh or eighth grade. Um, he kind of reminds me of Rashawn Green. You don't, they don't you don't think there's a he's, he's bigger. I mean, he's bigger uh, again. I saw him like two years ago, yeah. and he had green kind of like build and also like smoothness, and that's kind of who I thought of the first time I saw him. That 23 receiver class is absurd in the state. It's amazing. 22 leaves a lot to be desired, in my opinion, in the state at receiver. 23 is absurd. Yeah, and you always have, like, the stars of the team at South Florida Express, and then you have, like, the workhorses that, that you know, get the job done, and Santana Fleming was that. He yep. – you know, he wasn't spectacular, meaning he wasn't like spectacular making one-handed catches down the sideline in, in, but he found space, you know, he did the little things. He converted third downs. He, he ran for touchdowns. Like, you know, he beat the guy on the edge when you don't think he has the angle or when you thought the defender had the angle, he, he erases it. And Santana Fleming was, was really good. Um, dominated all weekend. Who else was on that team that we liked? Um, who else stood out on South Florida Express before we move on? I mean, they have this uh, receiver from Miami Palmetto named Mike Jackson, who, who was kind of like switching reps with Travis Hunter on offense. And he was he was getting the job done on kind of the shorter routes. And, um, you know, they had a couple of other guys. Like, there was a kid that looked just like Devontae Freeman. I don't I don't remember his name, but me and Josh were that, that, that he was somewhat related to, to Devontae. He's got to be. Um, we saw some different prospects at some other teams as well. Trey Donaldson, it's a guy that Zach wrote about on Knowles 24-7 last week, and I'll have another update with him this week. But Trey Donaldson is at Florida High School. Uh, he plays safety there, and he was playing some quarterback for his 7-on-7 seven seven team, which he won't play in the next level, but it was pretty funny to see. But Trey Donaldson can move. I mean, he looks like a linebacker out there. But he plays like a safety. Um, he had a big interception to beat Team Tampa on day one. I remember that to seal up the game. Uh, but he was out there making plays. I really like Donaldson a lot after seeing him. He says FSU is among his top prospect. schools, but UF is as well. Um, Devon Mortimer. Got to see Devon Mortimer in person for the first time too. And he is as fast as advertised. Um, and for the record, I didn't see him drop a pass. You know, his coach told me that he hadn't seen him drop a pass in, in a practice or a game in like two or three years. So I just want to go on the record and say that I didn't see him drop a ball. Uh, Nijika, uh, I'm sorry, Nigelique. Nigelique Kelly, Florida State defensive end prospect was there. Zach, you spoke to him. He was playing some tight end. Uh, he didn't take a whole lot of reps. He was just there having a good time. But what did he have to say to you? Yeah, we spoke about his uh, Florida State commitment. Obviously, he's been committed for a long time now. Uh, he, he he said he's still committed. Um, there's a lot of other teams coming in for him. Miami, Florida. He said Ohio State is starting to pick up contact with him. And I think, you know, Florida State's going to have to do a great job there uh, these coming months until signing day to try to keep him in this class because I, I think his, his stock is only going to keep rising. Um, in the recruiting world. And I, and I think getting him, you know, as a commit early was great for them, but it, it, it's not going to mean much if they can't keep him. So they're definitely going to have to work hard with him. And I, I don't think he's, you know, anywhere close to shutting down his recruitment. He's definitely open to other schools uh, speaking to him and, and continuing to recruit him. Mm -hmm. Infinity War and Endgame? Come no, we saw Ja'Cory Thomas. Uh, Ja'Cory Thomas is in my in my top 10 most wanted, I believe. Um, and I had him on the defensive backboard. I thought he was more of a safety, but he tells me FSU is recruiting him as a stud. Um, so a little bit of a hybrid player there, Ja'Cory Thomas. Who else did we like a lot? Oh, out of Lake Gibson. There's a 2023 cornerback, and everybody should should know Lake Gibson. That's where Sam McCall's at. That's where Jalen Glover's at. FSU is pretty active at Lake Gibson right now. And they got a cornerback named Corman. C-O-R-M-I-N, McLean. Corman McLean yeah, has five-star potential. Yep. He could be the next five-star out of Lake Gibson. Um, off the hoof, he's built like a young Stanford Samuels. That's who he reminded me of. Just real long in the legs, real long in the arms. Um, smooth player. 
And I spoke to him and he is, you know, his recruitment's just blown up in the last six weeks. He's gotten, you know, he's got Florida state and all the in-state schools, but also Alabama, Ohio state, the list goes on. So his recruitment's blown up, but he is, uh, he's going to make it to FSU. He told me for the spring game. So that'll be good. Hopefully he comes up with Sam McCall as well. Um, not much else to report. Anything else that stood out to you, Zach, before we, we wrap this segment up? Oh, no, not really. I, I would just say that, you know, obviously with Travis Hunter being the, the recruiter he is for Florida mm-hmm. State, you know, I have an article up right now on Nose 24-7 detailing some of the guys he's been talking to um, or he talked to over the weekend playing with South Florida Express, obviously because there's so many other talented guys on that team. So if you want to see who Hunter is after um, on Nose 24-7, there's an article where he speaks about that specifically. Yeah, that was great to have him out there mixing it up. You know, he's a kid from Georgia who doesn't necessarily get to see a lot of um, in-person recruits from the Miami area and stuff. So it was good to see him mix it up there. Um, all right, Brendan, back to you for the uh, final hacky sack update of the, of the podcast or whatever hacky, you do. Hacky sack. Hey, did we, I, I stepped away when you guys started doing recruiting. Did we talk about any guys who were at the scrimmage? We did not. Well, like Christopher, uh, I'll let you take the lead on that one then. Who was at the scrimmage? That's how you produce. There was a homestead duo of Dante Anderson and Daniel Lyons. We're working on catching up with them. There was an Orlando group that included guys like uh, Peyton Kirkland, young offensive lineman, Jaden Gibson, 2022 wide receiver that I believe Zach actually caught up with. Zach, you want to chime in about him real quick? Yep. Um Another guy that we have an update on most 24 seven that you can read right now. And he, he, he likes what he saw from the scrimmage. Uh, he, his coach, you know, took him around the campus and he got a good uh, view of that. And he said that he could see himself kind of fitting into the, the offensive situation at Florida state pretty well because of his six foot six stature. So if you want to see what he said, it's over at most 24 seven. Some other members of that Orlando group were TJ Shanahan. He's a 2023 offensive guard slash tackle guy, a uh, big old boy. Kevin Call, 2023 defensive end who's at a popka these days. And Derek LeBonk, a 2023 defensive end who's at Kissimmee Osceola. So talented group from Orlando together. There was also a group from West Florida. Probably the best guy to know in that group was 2023 wide receiver Raymond Cottrell. He came, I believe, with his father. He actually, that group went on the field. Everybody was allowed on the field after the scrimmage. So he went on the field and uh, actually he got together with Deontay Sheffield and Keyshawn Helton, two guys from his area. And the West Florida group that was there, including Raymond, and those two guys talked a good bit. Those guys are good ambassadors for FSU. And, you know, they care about kids from back where they're from. So they kind of did their part in that regard and just, you know, chatted with that group and whatnot. Um Raymond Cottrell is a kid that FSU is going to want till he decides. He's a 2023 kid, pretty early in his recruitment, but he's a big receiver, big body kid, excellent pass catcher, and he's going to be a big-time kid out of Milton, Florida. And then there was also a group from Columbus, Georgia, Carver, which Steve Wiltfong reported on a couple days ago. Elijah Pritchett was probably the most prized recruit in that group. We're working on getting a full update with him, but we've had a little communication. I'll let Mr. Newberg chime in with what the young man told him. Quote, it's amazing, end quote, is what I've got from Elijah Pritchett. He confirmed that he was, (laughs) he was in Tallahassee for the scrimmage. And I asked him how his visit to campus was. And he said, it's amazing. And I followed up with like two more questions and I haven't heard back yet from, from him. But just the simple fact that Elijah Pritchett was there. I mean, I was about to drop Pritchett from my top 10 most wanted, which is probably going to be published later this afternoon. And he made it back. He's in there. I mean, a, a visit to campus on your own dime, that'll that'll get you in my top 10 most wanted in a position of great need. He's a stud offensive tackle for those not familiar with him. He's a guy that Alex Atkins has worked hard on. The big boys are after him too, so that one's going to be a battle. Um, but, yeah, Saturday was productive from a recruiting standpoint, as productive as you can be in a dead period. Obviously, the staff really couldn't interact with the kids in person. It's not allowed. But the fact that they opened the stadium, let them watch the scrimmage, allowed everybody to go on the field afterwards. That's smart maneuvering on their part. Heady play. That's one way to get recruits. Heady play. But I like it. it. It's one way to get recruits as much of an opportunity to check things out as they can have at this point in the process. Gabe Harris was also there, Thomasville, Georgia, defensive end from Thomas County Central up that way. 
And, uh, you know, he also went to Atlanta Under Armour on Sunday. But Gabe's a guy who likes FSU a great deal, was glad to get back there and check it out. I think that's pretty much it from the recruiting staff. I got guys that made it in. Am I forgetting? I got one that came in on Friday. We forgot Jalen Glover from Lake Gibson, the running back. Uh, yes. That's among FSU's top targets. He he arrived on Friday and I spoke to him when he left and he didn't really know when he planned the trip that they were going to scrimmage on Saturday. Um, he was heading up to Georgia Tech the following day. Jalen told me that, you know, it was a great trip to FSU and he's we've noted that he's high on FSU. Um, he maintains that he's not going to make his decision to June. If you, if I was going to buy or Sinone that, I'd probably Sinone that. I think I think Glover makes his decision prior to June. I just I think where he stands on the totem pole of running backs, I don't know if he can really wait it out that long, but we'll see. Um, especially since he's going, you know, he made a trip to FSU, he made a trip to Georgia Tech. Sometimes that's a sign that the decision might be coming soon, but we'll see. That's not what he said to me. Uh, he says June. The other recruiting stuff that happened this week and beyond IMG that Josh and Zach were at in scrimmage, which me and Sonoma were at, was Atlanta Under Armour also went down on Sunday. Uh, Andrew Ivins and Steve Wiltfong were among those from the company there. I think Rusty Manziel and Keith Niebuhr were also there. Um, I haven't followed up with Ivins about it. Like MJ Morris was supposed to be there at the end of the day with the quarterback group. We didn't hear much about it. Truthfully, we didn't hear much about any of the quarterbacks. I think some of that is that defensive line group that was there yesterday was utterly freaking nuts and loaded, um, included number one 2023 prospect, multiple high-end 2022 guys. So I think, you know, having done many a camp in my life, I presume that group consumed a great deal of the afternoon in the sense of pursuing interviews and things of that sort. So I think that's why the later today went less updates we got about some of the stuff on the field. But I do expect some stuff out of it. I heard that they got up with Morris, or at least I was told that they got up with Morris. So waiting to see what he had to say. Um, and I'll follow up further on that. And we should have more from Atlanta Under Armour in the coming days as a network. But uh, some stuff we heard on the FSU side, Addison Nichols is a talented offensive tackle. They like up that way. But FSU trail is a lead group and that bunch are part of his top whatever right now. But he's got three or four above them and everybody else that he's really focused on. He was one of the good ones. As I mentioned, D-line group there was nuts. Walter Nolan, uh, the Overton kid from 2023, a couple others were in that group. There was a basketball kid who's transitioning to football who played offensive tackle there. Uh, I will look up his name and probably mention him on the message board. I can't remember off the top of my head. But he's a kid that I think is going to be a real interesting spring kid as schools evaluate more film because he can bend. He's long. He's talented. He's the kind of guy I could definitely see FSU getting involved with. Marvel. That's it. That's the podcast. Edit. <laughs>